The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Join us as Pastor Randy Rehm shares truths from God's unchanging Word. So are we in John chapter 9? I'm assuming if you were, you'd be standing up because we stand for the reading of God's Word here. <laughs> okay? As you're doing that, let me, let me lay the groundwork so you know this begins with the word therefore in verse 8. So I want to give the background. Remember, Jesus, it's a Sabbath. Jesus has walked out of the temple. They, they go by a blind man. It's been blind since birth. And his disciples ask him, who sinned, this man or his parents? Jesus is neither. This is so that the, the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus picks up some dirt, spits in it, makes a mud patty, puts it on the guy's eye, okay? And declares himself to be the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And he tells this guy to go wash at the pool of Siloam. Okay, which is approximately 2.5 miles away, and a decline returning up from there is a 28-story climb from the Temple Mount down to the Pool of Siloam. Okay, then so it's verse 7, so he went away, the blind man, washed and came back seen. Now here we are, verse 8, therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar we're saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others, no, but it just looks like him. But is like him is what it says. And he kept saying, I, I'm the one. So they were saying to him, how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay or mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. I'm going to read the whole chapter. They brought him to the Pharisees, the man who was formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made clay and opened his eyes and the Pharisees we're also then asking him, again, how he received his sight. And, they, and he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, I washed, I see. Notice this guy as he shares this four times. Each time it gets briefer every time he shares that story. No, I've got to find my spot again. I was saying, um, 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this is not from God because... He, he, Jesus, does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe him that he was been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the very one who received his sight. And they questioned them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? And the parents answered him and said, uh, We know that this is our son, 
that he was born blind. But now he sees, how he sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. And his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, that person, he, would be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, the parents were saying, ask, or, he is of age, ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he said to them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become one of his disciples too, do you? Sarcasm, don't you love it? They reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he's come from. Then the man, that is the one who was blind, answered and said to them, Well, here's an amazing thing that you don't know where he came from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners. This is the blind man saying this. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not of God or from God, could he, do, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sin, and you are teaching us. So they put him out. They threw him out. Jesus heard, were, heard what they, that they had put him out, and finding him. Notice Jesus goes, goes to find him once he figured he's thrown out. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him. And he is the one who is talking to you. And he said, Lord, I believed. I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say, we see, your sin remains. You may be seated. Okay. So the fellow has gone to the pool, hiked all the way up, back up the hill today. That's about, I don't know, I didn't measure it out. But it's quite a long ways. I just know the. I just looked up the elevation difference between the Pool of Siloam and the Temple Mount. Okay, about 28 stories, 280 feet. That's the elevation you have to go. By the way, in 2004, for years they've thought where the Pool of Siloam is as you come out of the the aqueduct of of Hezekiah in Jerusalem. You can go under. How many of you know that you can go under Jerusalem and follow the water line that he put under there when Sennacherib was attacking, and you come out the one end. But there was this Byzantine church there. 
And in 2004, um, the city of Jerusalem was, was uh, dealing with a sewage line break. And in the old city, whenever you dig anywhere, you have to bring an archaeologist with you. They're digging along with their backhoes, and they hear scrape, scrape. Uh, archaeologists stop, that's not dirt. And they start uncovering these steps. And these steps are identical to the ones they found over an orful that goes up to the Temple Mount. They know they're from the first century. And they dig, and, and uh, they find about 50 meters from where that Byzantine church was, that traditional site for centuries, they find the Pool of Siloam. Okay, you can go there today, you can look it up online. So it's easy to tell the elevation difference. And I think that's important, okay? So this guy has returned from this trip. His neighbors, now he's returned to his neighborhood, not necessarily the Temple Mount, to his neighborhood. And those who previously saw him as a beggar, did you notice that? Not, not those who saw him beg. Not what he was doing. They saw him as a beggar. They identified him as a guy. That, that's what he is. He is a beggar. He, he has no source, no way to take care of himself financially, to take care of his needs. Okay? He used to rely on others to do this. But, you know, I, I'm not sure it's him then. Because the guy I know, we'll call him Joe. The Joe I know, Joe, is a beggar. That's what he is. That's how we know him. And we're not going to let him get out of that box. If I can say it like that. Uh, and some goes, yeah, I, I do think it's him. Other parents, nope, 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 nope. I won't accept it. I think that somebody just looks like him. It's his twin brother. He's been cloned. I don't know. They really do say that. No, someone look like him. And he kept saying, so he had to say it over and over, no, I, I'm him, I, I'm the one. Compared to that other guy that used to sing that song, I'm not the one. He's saying, I know it's a different generation, okay, I am, I'm the guy. No, really, the same guy. That, no, no, really, when you went and saw me begging by the, that's me. I don't, I don't know, I just can't see it. You know, I, 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 I'm sorry, I, I can't do that. Okay, if it's you then, verse 10, um, how were your eyes opened? They're wanting to know what literally happened, what took place. Tell us the story of this transformation. Because in his neighborhood, they weren't necessarily there by somewhere near the temple when Jesus had walked out of there and was healed this guy. Tell, tell us what happened. And they answer him, says, the man who was called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and received my sight. We talked about that a little bit last week. Then they say, well, where is he? Oh, oh really? really? Well, prove it. You see, this guy came along. Where is this guy? That's what they're asking. Okay, or if he did it, where is the guy? I don't know. I, I do find it intriguing throughout this chapter, the word for no, there's there's a couple different words for the word know in Greek, but the one here in its root form means to know by seeing. I, I do find that a bit ironic. He could have used the word gnosko, which is, is to learn, to grow, to grow in knowledge, that kind of thing. Okay? And like I said, he shares this story four times. Each time it gets a little more brief. 
But, but did you notice he missed, he skipped something in the story here. Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes. What did he miss? What did he skip? He spit in the dirt to make the clay to put it in my eyes. Okay, he, he skipped that part of it. Don't ask me why. Partially because there was an actually a law written in the rabbinical stuff. Parmenides, I forget the guy's name that actually did it, that, that you, you, you couldn't use your spit anyway on the Sabbath. Maybe that's the reason. Okay. His, sto- his story's family. He did. He said, I did. I'm healed. He, he did. He said, so I did. I'm healed. That, that's pretty basic it. Okay. The other thing I want you to know, when he, this is the first instance of it in the text. Where is he? I don't know. Again, that no word used 11 times in this parochopy. It's implied to others for a total, right, of 13 times. I didn't know if you could do the math or not, okay? 11 and 2. 13 times. I, I don't think the Holy Spirit puts that in there, and particularly this form, eidos, the, the word for no, the Greek word for no here, accidentally, he, I, I don't think he's trying to fill up pages, Okay? And sometimes, some of these people, what they say they know, true. Sometimes what they say they know, not true. Sometimes what they claim not to know is a lie. You'll see that. Okay? Then it tells us something odd in verse 13. They, that is his neighbors, brought him to the Pharisees. I'm not the brightest fellow, but I'll ask a question. What question will I ask? Uh, Yeah, why? Why? Why are your neighbors taking? You know what I'm saying? Uh, it could be, and, and, and it might be so, that they're looking for a theological explanation. Because they know the Pharisees have already said this guy's demon possessed, Jesus. Okay? <clears throat> that he's not of God. And that if anybody <clears throat> claims him to be the Christ, they get kicked out of the synagogue. If that's true, explain to us how this happened. Okay, um, And it could be because he did it on the Sabbath because it actually says that there in the text that they brought the Pharisee man to the Pharisees who was formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath day. That, that John wants us to know it has something to do with that. So wait, wait a minute. I know what you guys say what can and can't be done on the Sabbath. You got to tell me about this. You got, does this work? How does this happen when it would be done in a way that would be breaking all your rules. So, those Pharisees ask him the same thing, how he received his sight. Give me the facts. They're here to investigate. All right, all right, you've been brought to us. Here's the story. Is it true? Tell us what, they're looking just at the facts, supposedly. Just an intellectual approach, like, because in those days you would bring a court case before the Pharisees, before their leaders. Eventually, it could go to the Sanhedrin, all right? Um, and so think of it like that. Think of it as a court case. Here's what is claimed. Here are the witnesses. Let's look at it. So they interview the fellow, okay? So the man retells those events again. He applied clay to my eyes. I washed, I see. 
That, that, that's pretty brief. And my wife thought the way I share things is brief. <laughs> that's it? What, well, what exactly did they say? She always asked me that. All right? Um, but he's retelling the events. And some of the Pharisees, now all this is said, he's just said, I was blind, I washed, I see. More, I mean, he may have given some more details. Some of the Pharisees said, this is not from God. Um, excuse me, I thought the verdicts held at the end of all, present all the evidence, right? Unless they just redact a bunch of it, but that's another story. They've already passed verdict, and it's just this guy says this. They'd already accused him of being demon-possessed. And who wants to go back on what they said? People have a hard time admitting they were mistaken or just flat-out lied the time before. Okay? And that's in chapter 8, 52, and verse 48 as well. And in chapter 10, they do it again. They actually accuse him of being insane later, Jesus of being insane. How do they know? That's the implication. This man is not from God because. We know this because. He does not keep the Sabbath. Now remember, previously in chapter 5, um, he heals another fellow on the Sabbath by a different pool, which is actually... Uh, I'm going to turn around, okay? So here's the Temple Mount. Here's the pool of Siloam. Behind where the Temple Mount, there was another pool, the Bethsaida there. And remember, he walks in, and the lame man, and he heals the guy, tells him to pick up his mat and go home. It was on the Sabbath. Okay? And they get all mad at him for it um, and actually want to stone him later because of what he says. Um, but really, Jesus sort of handles that whole part about the healing on the Sabbath in the sense he, he uses that analogy. Wait a minute, if the eighth day comes for a child, male child to be circumcised, will you not circumcise him on that day if it's a Sabbath? If you're doing this to just a part of a person, what's wrong with healing a whole person on the Sabbath? Okay? He never really addresses him telling the guy to pick up his mat because those are dumb little rules made up by the Pharisees that aren't part of Scripture. So why even bother with that? Okay? So here, what I'm assuming they're arguing most about is not the healing, is the fact that he asked the guy to walk all the way down to that pool, wash, <gasps> not supposed to do that either. Now this is a very large pool. It's where you would sacramonially cleanse yourself before you went up to the temple. It's where during the Feast of Tabernacles, just previous to this in chapter 8, where the priest would go down and get these golden things of water and come up and pour them on the altar. All right? But they said he did not keep, he does not keep the Sabbath. Anybody know what a keep is? In the Middle Ages, Dark Ages, or medieval, what's a keep? Yeah, yeah, it's a guard place. This word to keep means to guard. They're accusing Jesus of not guarding, protecting, upholding, in a sense, the Sabbath. In the sense that you're telling other people to break it. And we can put up with you. I mean, that's your problem. Because, you, you know, you're, you're a demon anyway. But now you're telling other people. So they have a conclusion before this, well, the investigation, I'll put it that way, the, the case has been barely started and they've made their conclusion. 
okay? But other Pharisees says, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, we, we know sinners can't heal people. I'll give it. How can a man who's a sinner perform such signs? Okay, wait a minute. If he is breaking the Sabbath and telling others to do it, he's a sinner, and we know, there's that word again, okay? They, they use it in a certain, like it's certain, that blind or sinners can't do miracles. All right? And then it says this, and there was a division among them. There's a theological problem. One side says he's a sinner because he breaks this rule. And the other says, wait, wait, if he broke that rule, he'd be a sinner, and he can't do this. So if he did this, uh... many people want to argue, um, I don't know how I put that, argue that, that you, know, you don't talk theology because it creates division. Everywhere Jesus did, he created division. He even says that father against son, mother against daughter, and that's what's going to happen. Now, this theological problem is be because some people had the wrong theology. I'm going to be honest. And, and I think that is the issue when many theological issues. When I, when I might look at a conference of some of the guys I, I like to listen to, and they're all sitting up there on this this thing taking questions. I look around and the, one th believes in infant baptism, one believes in adult baptism. One believes in premillennialism, the other one all millennialism. Okay, these guys. And they're all doing just fine. They get up there and talk. They even joke about their differences. Okay? But, but they're there. They know that core theology's sound. These guys, though, wait a minute. They're a stickler on something in particular. That is the way you keep the Sabbath. You have to keep it according to what we say how it's kept. How many miles you can walk. Whether you can spit on that day or not. Okay? All kinds of things like that. And that creates this division. Well, it's, we've already seen this back in chapter 7. After Jesus feeds the multitude and comes back to Bethsaida, wait a minute, I think he's this. Well, you think he's that. No, I think he's just a man. No, I think he's a prophet. Oh, I think he's the Messiah. And that says, and there was division among them over who Jesus is. I think that's the issue here, who Jesus is. And I would suggest to you that's the dividing line between what we would call orthodox Christianity, and others who claim to be Christians. You know, that orthodox Christianity says one thing, then that other group says he's Lucifer's brother. And he came to being out of physical relations between Mother God and Father God, who lived on a planet called Caleb, or near that planet called Caleb. I'm sorry, who Jesus is matters. It's, we're not the same. You don't believe in the same God, because who Jesus is matters. Okay. So they deflect the argument. Let's ask the guy who was blind. What does he think? Don't buy that. Don't buy that. The unbelieving world will ask you, well, what do you think is the answer? They won't want to hear it. Okay? They, they want to act like they're open-minded. 
until you share yours. So they asked the guy. He said, he's a prophet. Now they're asking a guy that's never been in the temple, never been in the synagogue. Why? Because he was blind, therefore he must be a sinner, an unrepentant one. That is how this whole chapter started. He would have never been allowed in the temple or the synagogue. The guy that's never been to church, let's ask him what he thinks. He's a prophet. Watch this, though. I think the part that's sort of funny is, so they asked this guy, since he opened your eyes. Do you know they don't believe that? They play him. Well, since he opened your eyes, who do you say he is? It, it says in verse 2, they don't believe him. Okay? Verse 18a. So the Jews then did not believe it of him. His whole story, the idea that he's a prophet, but what they didn't believe, that he had been blind and received his sight. We think the whole story's just made up. I know when you say, this is how you were before an encounter Christ, and this is how you are after, I don't believe it. I got you to understand, this isn't the only witness. Who brought him to the Pharisees? His neighbors. Hey, man, we know him as the begging guy. Look at him. I mean, he was a guy blind to begging, and we're bringing him to you. What happened here? So it's not just the man's testimony. It is their testimony. And these guys aren't going to believe it because unbelief is unbending. There's a big fancy word for that, but I'll leave that out. Then it says until. So they're, they're I'm sorry, I know you got the neighbors telling me you were the guy. You're telling me the guy. You know what? I don't even believe you were blind to start with. Until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. That's the last half of verse 18. Oh, new evidence, right? And, and you know this in you American courts, that even if you have a judgment, if there's new evidence, you can appeal. You, okay, so there's new evidence. So he questions the parents. Okay, they don't believe he was ever born blind, so they bring the parents in. Is this your son who was born blind? Then, or if so, how does he see? Is this your son born blind? If he is, he's seeing now. The parents answered him, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. They're confident they know that. I could imagine they're horrible parents, so you'll see why in a minute. So the two things they do know, yep, 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 that, that's the kid we raised. That's sure enough, that's him. Okay, yep, yep. And the day he, he, he came into this world, he, he was blind. Those things I know. I, no question on those. But what we don't know, okay, is how or who. That's what they're saying. They don't know how he came to see or who opened his eyes? They're lying. They're throwing their own son under the bus. Because the next verse tells us they're lying. Okay? They say this, well, talk to him. He, he's of age. He's old enough. Ask him yourself. Okay? 
he doesn't have to be concerned about being thrown out of the synagogue because he's never been in it. Verse 22, 23, and his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already made an agreement, a ruling, that if anyone confessed him, Jesus, to be the Christ, they'd put them out of the synagogue. For this reason, the parents said, ask, or he is of age, ask him. It tells us twice the reason they're copping out on this and passing the buck down to the boy is we can be thrown out of the synagogue. He doesn't have anything to risk. So, a second time, they called the man who was born blind and said, give glory to God, we know this man is a sinner. Now, you have to ask this, what does the give glory to God have to do with anything? They are actually quoting from Joshua 7, verse 19, direct quote, okay? Achan, if you remember Achan, when Jericho was conquered, God said, you don't take anything out of Jericho, that's all mine. You don't get any of it. Achan sneaks some of it out hides it, buries a hole in the tent, puts it down there. And uh, when, the, when God reveals that it's Achan to Joshua, Joshua says, give glory to God and tell us the truth. Pretty much it. So what they're saying to this guy, now come on, come on, give glory. Tell us the truth this time. Be, give glory to God by telling the truth. That's what they're telling him to do. In other words, you were lying the last time. Your parents are lying. Tell us the truth. So he answers, whether he, Jesus, is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. There's a whole lot of I know and I don't know in here. You ask someone, an unbelieving person, how they know a thing. This, it's called epistemology. There's a fancy word for that. That How do we know things? Okay. Well, there isn't a God. How do you know that? Well, the world came into evolution by evolutionary processes 14 or 17 billion years ago. How do you know that? So they said to him, now remember, he's just, just said, I, I, I don't know, I see now. I'm not telling you the story again. I'm telling you I was blind. No, I can see. If you don't believe me, that's your problem. So they said to him, what did he do to you, and how did he open your eyes? Okay. They want to know the events. Tell me the events again. Then, then I want to know more about the process. What actually, what happened inside? Did, did you feel EBGBs? Did, did you notice anything? Uh, how do you think this happened? I know, I know what happened. Tell us that again. But how does it happen? And the guy's answer. It does, before I go that, if they do say, how did he open your eyes? That's a huge admission at this point. If they're saying your eyes were open and wanting to know how, they're admitting that you were blind. Okay? Um. I already told you, the guy says, you don't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And then he says something he knows is going to get them. He knows this is going to, you don't, you know, it's going to tick off the judge. You do not want to become 
his disciples too. Do you? They reviled him and said, you're his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. In other words, you're biased. You're his disciple. You're, you're biased on that, but we're not. Oh, come on. Do you ever hear that when you're talking with the unbeliever? You're biased, but they're not. For some reason, somehow or another, they're unbiased. I remember reading an article, and they asked people if there was a panel of experts on ethics. And up there on the panel, you had a reporter, you had the psychologist, and blah, 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 and then you had a preacher. And they asked in the survey, which one of these are the most unreliable? Which one would you not listen to or listen to the least? And they said, the preacher, because he's biased. The psychiatrist isn't biased? The scientist is it by it? But that was the idea, okay? They accuse him of what they themselves are guilty of. They started the whole, I will say, investigation trial with a bias. This man's not of God. He's a demon. We've already started there, but that's what they're accusing him of. Also, I know they never call him Jesus. It's this man, this man, this man. Nowadays, it'd have to be this person. But, but they, don't, they, don't, they know his name, okay? We know God spoke to Moses. We're not sure about this guy. Even though Jesus had repeatedly said, I only say what the Father tells me to say, I only do what he says me to do, he actually tells them that he's the bread that came out of heaven, and they say here... Um, we don't even know where this guy's from. And they don't mean Nazareth. They're meaning from. Is he, is he an agent of God or an agent of the devil? That's the whole argument they had the division over earlier. Okay? The man answered and said to them, Well, this is, this is just amazing. That you don't know where he's from. Yet he opened my eyes. The facts don't matter. The evidence doesn't matter. You're just a bunch of irrational, biased folks. And then he says this. He says this. And wait a minute. You don't know where he's from, but he opened my eyes. Well, let, let me give you a good, some theology here. All you guys supposedly know it. We know God does not hear sinners. It's right out of Psalms 68 and 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So he understands that for a guy who didn't grow up in the synagogue or even Sabbat school. Okay. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he does hear him. He's got that part figured out. Okay. Probably because he was told, don't even pray for your healing, buddy, because God don't hear sinners. Then he says this, from the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of one born blind. This boy knows his Old Testament. You know there's not one record in the Old Testament of a blind man being healed? You think about it. If I had asked you this this morning, before I said that, is there anybody in the Old Testament that, that, that was blind that was healed? You'd probably have to go look. This guy didn't even have to go look. He knew his Old Testament well enough 
that God doesn't hear sinners, and nobody in that, old, that book, his Bible of the day, ever was healed of that blindness. Okay? If this man were not from God, he can do nothing. In other words, God hears the God-fearing person who does the will of God, and he did something, so you got to explain it if he's not from God. Then they insult him. And they answered him, you are born entirely in sin. Again, back to the original thing that we, who sinned, this man, or, yeah, yeah, you are in a mess because you're a sinner, and how dare you teach us? So they threw him out. Okay? So they insult him, disrespect him. You can't teach us. You're, you, don't judge us. Well, who are you to judge us? You, you can't tell us what to do. Many people reject truth because who presents it? They see this guy as a sinner because he was blind. Obviously, he must have been. So even though he's presented, wait a minute. Let me show you in some scripture. God, don't heal sin, hear sinners. He hears those who are obedient to him. Um, I could see, so... But they reject it. At this point, they're saying it because of the person who presents it. Then they get violent and throw him out of the room. <clears throat> they physically accost him and have him tossed out. They don't order him to leave. <clears throat> they have him thrown out. First of all, let me give you a couple application points to all of this. <clears throat> when Jesus changes you, your neighbors will know. Some won't accept it. Ah, I know Joe, yeah. I know he says he's got religion, but we'll see. Okay? <clears throat> but it should show up. When the creator of all things, who can make eyeballs out of clay, touches you, it'll show up. <clears throat> Read James. <clears throat> but then I want to talk about a few things as you go into the world and you're going to share the truth of Jesus Christ the pattern you will see in the world from those who do not believe. Unbelief will feign intellectual superiority. We know. You don't know. Well, let's just look at the facts until you present those facts. No matter what the facts, they will be unyielding, inflexible. They're not going to change their mind. You will never convince the unbelieving to be a believer. You might ask, well, then why do it at all? We'll get there. Their unbelief is irrational. That's what they'll accuse you of. Okay? When they're confronted with the truth, unbelief presupposes its conclusion ignores, rejects, or twists the facts to get that predetermined conclusion. Okay? So we can go down to the Grand Canyon. We can go up on Mount Everest. And guess what? Sedimentary rock full of sea creatures. But there wasn't a worldwide flood. So here's what we say. Here's what we say is, is um, we don't know what to say. 
all these were local floods everywhere on the planet. Well, that's all tire. When we were at the Grand Canyon last year, two years ago, and Judah's with me, and they have these displays here showing how the Grand Canyon was formed. They literally show the whole thing underwater at one point. That's the only way they explain that there's these sea creatures here. The top of Mount Everest at 20, I think they said from 25, I was reading this, to 29,000 feet is sedentary made rock with certain particular sea creatures in it. The tallest place on the planet. But we'll explain that away for years, for a long time. The universe self-exists. It always has been. It's always been around. Oops! Oh, nope. The universe had a beginning. We figured that one out. Well, we've been telling you that right from Genesis. Well, let me explain it to you. See, see and I actually read an article on this this week. There's these other universes that our universe spawns out of. There's these multiverses. How do you know that? That's really why it's called a theory. You see what I'm saying? That whatever evidence you will give them, they'll explain it away. Why do you have evil, rotten thoughts? Why do you do selfish things? Why do you... How about ethics, right and wrong? Well, it evolves. How do you know that? Because I believe in evolution, that's why I know that. Okay? They're, they're going to do it to get the preconceived, predetermined outcome, no matter what truth you give them. The Bible's just made up stories, myths. You can present all the evidence, all you want. Go out and get Lee Strobel's books on it, Josh McDowell's books on it, give it to your friend. All that evidence, they're going to twist it to say something else. So first, they'll feign an intellectual approach. Then when you give them the facts, even intellectual, rational ones, they're going to be unflexible and yielding, and their outcome, their conclusion is going to be irrational. Four, it's going to be, end up this way. They're going to insult you. They're going to treat you disrespectful. Let me put it on. They're going to get angry and get verbal. They're going to call you names. They're going to insult you. Get used to it. Well, Pastor, this is why I don't tell people about Christ, because who wants to go through this? You're wasting your time presenting the evidence, speaking the truth to them, and then they turn around just going to get mad and call you names. And here's the rough part. In the end, they will become violent. Go around the world. Watch how the unbelieving world has responded to Christianity. Christians were lion food because of that. We, we have missionaries in Southeast Asia who took the place of the ones that got their heads cut off. It, read the end of the book, the Bible. Read the prophecy about the end times. I'm sorry, eventually it gets violent. That's encouraging, isn't it? I mean, think about with Jesus. No matter how many miracles he did, they would try to explain it away. They were unyielding to that truth. They called him demon-possessed and insane, and then they killed him. That's the modus operandi of unbelief. I don't know if I like being beat up, whatever that violent tends to be, thrown out. I don't know if I like that. 
So why do we even bother? Well, Jesus already sort of addressed this in John 3, but right now I'll first go to John 14 when he says this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, not through your wisdom. Your ability to present the argument well, orderly fashion. I don't, I don't, I'm not arguing that's good to do, but that's not what's going to do it. That's why in John 3, when he said to Nicodemus, who was looking for answers, one of these Pharisees on the Sanhedrin, wait a minute, I know nobody can do the facts, what you're doing unless they're from God. Okay? And that's where Jesus says to him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He can't see the evidence. He's blind to it that evidence, unless they are born again. It's interesting when John 14, when Jesus says that, Thomas had asked him this question. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes. See, it's not our obligation to convince the unbeliever. It's our obligation to share the truth, and God, the Holy Spirit, transforms the heart. Through the whole Jesus' life, how many encounters does he have with these unbelieving particular Pharisees in particular? Jesus himself never persuades them with rational argument, with evidence of healings and feeding the thousands and raising from the dead. Okay? It's the Holy Spirit that does the work. Does that mean I will be called awful things? Yes. If you look at the uh, pro-baby killing marches that are going on, they will call you Christians. You are the problem. If it wasn't for you, if we get rid some of them actually said that. If we get rid of you, we solve the problems. Oh, and what's the next step? Violence. Are you ready for that? Boy, you're not very encouraging, preacher. Yeah, I know. But that's, we're just about at that step, I think. You know, you know, uh, is, is an uproar as the 60s was. Christians weren't the problem. But there were those writing in the 60s setting out this plan of how to get rid of the Christians. Hillary Clinton wrote a paper on the guy that wrote the book. Okay, these are the steps. Okay, act like you're the intellectual one. Don't waver, though, no matter what the evidence is. Okay, now it doesn't use the term, they, don't, they won't use the term irrational, but that's what it is. It's irrational to think everything that is came from nothing. That's absolutely irrational, including their own rules of science. Their intellectual approach says that not, something can't come from nothing. Conservation of energy and matter. Their own rules say that, but I, I throw the rules rationality out and start calling you biased, narrow-minded. You guys just believe in myths. 
I mean, you're, you're, you're like a Stone Age fellow. We, we've moved past that now. You're, you're sort of intellectually stupid. But they will never stop the gospel. They will try. That's where the violence comes in. Now, I do ask you a question. You don't see anywhere in the New Testament anyway where the disciples or Jesus raise up arms against those who are feeding them to lions. Now, that doesn't mean you can't protect yourself. I didn't say that. I said raise up arms against. Form a revolution. Because the revolution takes place on the inside. In the midst of all that, Christianity exploded. Okay? Because we're not the ones who bring the revolution. Christ brought the revolution. When he hung on the cross, he's the one that overturned the system. He's the one that took victory over death. He's the one that said sin no longer has any power in my sheep. He did that. Okay? It's our job just to keep proclaiming the truth till he comes. And when he comes, he'll take care of those folks. And if you read Revelation, it's pretty ugly. Okay? I want you to understand the enemies, the, tool, the tools the enemy will use when you share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It hasn't changed in millennia. Satan ain't that smart to come up with a new plan. But I will tell you this. Christ builds his church, we do not. It's he's the one with the Holy Spirit does the transformation in the life of the person. That's what turns him around. But here's what he says. At the beginning, he says, why was this guy born blind? So God's glory would be shown through him. He has chosen to show the truth through us. To share the gospel of Jesus Christ through us. I don't know if I like that. Why, why can't you just do it? You're God. You could do anything. Well, why do you choose to do it through a blind man? A little boy who grew up and could never see. God uses the broken and the weak to give the glory to God. Now, here's, watch what the other side says. No, we're not broken and weak. We're good. We're evolved. You, you narrow-minded people just got to come up to our level. That ain't what Scripture says. Scripture says you're blind. And that's what Jesus says to the guy at the end. <laughs> you think you see, but I'm telling you, come, I'm telling you, you're really blind. It's the ones that you're calling blind that I've come to tell you they can see. They'll see. You're the blind one. Go out there right now. Go to that university, set in the professor's class. Excuse me, doc. Yeah, you're blind. You, you can't see the evidence. You're coming with by. Yeah, go to that and see how that goes. Matter of fact, just say this. Um, I believe the Bible. And see how you do in that class. I run it into churches all the time. And church folk. Well, but, wait a minute, wait a minute. But the Bible says, yeah, but, but I think, well, you, you said your Bible believe in Christian, and yet, yet in the, and then you, 
I got to realize this too. I will never convince anyone of what the Bible says. It's the Bible that will convince them as the Holy Spirit moves in their life. Let's stand. So here's what we can do. Here's how we come to this. We do two things. We ask God to open their eyes. And then we plead with those same people the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we go and we share and we share and we share and we say, God, you open their eyes. That's the only way this works. I know I'm talking to blind people. Trying to explain to them what the cross looks like, but they're blind. And I'll keep doing it because you told me to do it. I'm going to be the blind man. He did it. He said it. So I went and did it. That's it. And then he does the work. That guy walks all the way down to that pool, still blind. And when he does the the thing God told him to do, that's when the miracle happens. When we go and do what he says, tells us to do, and sharing the gospel, when we do it, that's when he does the miracle. Why? I don't know. He's God. I am not. He knew this was the best way to do it. Because he doesn't do anything. It's not the best way. Let's pray. Father, we pray for those we know in our lives that are still walking in darkness, that are still blind. We ask you, O oh God, open their eyes. Put that clay on their eyes at this moment. And Father, when we come with the truth, you will wash them in the truth and they will see. Help us, O oh God, to be bold in the midst of accusation, being called names and the threats of violence or even maybe violence, that we will continue to do what you said to do and through us, somehow or another, you get the glory, O oh God, as we feebly and weakly share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will use our weakness for your glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen. This is Stephen Wilson, and we want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope you were blessed by today's message. Truths from God's Unchanging Word is an outreach ministry of Kindred Bible Church in Caldwell, Idaho. If you would like to listen to other messages by Pastor Randy or learn more about Kindred Bible Church, visit kindredbible.org. Our prayer for you is that you grow closer to Christ as we study the truths from God's Unchanging Word.